0: Hello, everyone. You may have noticed the letters VWC next to today's conversation. That stands for the Vitical Wine Club. And these are industry-heavy episodes dealing with featured winemakers in my wine club. Enjoy.
1: I think the land needs that sort of cellar environment in order to be able to find its most sort of deep and meaningful expression. And I think that you're always going to be tasting those two environments talking to each other when you're tasting great wine.
0: All right, that was Nate Reddy of Haiyu Wine Farm. He, along with China Tressimer, his partner, have created quite a very, very special place. Uh, it's a bastion of regenerative agriculture in an AVA called the Columbia Gorge, which if you've driven from Portland and taken the 84 East, it's one of the most gorgeous drives, waterfalls, staggering cliffs, not an ugly place to make wine. His estate is in Hood River proper, which is on the Oregon side of the Columbia River. The Columbia River is basically the border between Washington and Oregon. One of those sourced projects is from his negociant label called Smock Shop Band, and that would be the Grenache that we worked on for the club shipment, which he'll talk about, as as well as his estate fruit, which we did in a small special club release. It was like a micro-cuvée that just sold out to the wine club yesterday, funny enough. If you ever find yourself in Oregon, definitely make your way out there in an area that is known for cherries, pears, and apples. There's a small mercenary army of grape growers out there doing some really, really interesting things. So it's a world-class region in the making, uh, kind of a hidden gem still. And at the forefront are some of the things that Nate and China are doing. At Hiu, and if you get a chance, there's another conversation we have under the TTGL abbreviation, which is the Thin Green Line, uh, which is a longer, drawn-out conversation about uh, Nate's practices, his philosophies, and their kind of ethos for you brave thinkers out there. So, cheers! I hope you enjoy. Um, so let's let's just kind of talk about the the custom bottlings that that we put together. So we, for the club shipment, we did a, a 2018 Grenache from a vineyard called Scorched Earth out in the Dalles. And then we did a lovely red blend from your estate farm that's going to be a special club release. Could you just kind of yeah. wa- walk our members through those? Which one do you want me to start with? Well, let's
1: start with uh, Scorched Earth and okay. m- work our way back. Yeah, on. so the site was planned about 20 years ago, and it's on the Washington side of the Columbia River across from the Dalles. And the vineyard is, there's basically like some train tracks on the river and then the property begins and there's like a basalt cliff, like a columnar basalt cliff and then sand dunes. And then the vineyard is planted beyond the dunes in black sand with basalt cobbles. And there's a lot of basalt sort of monoliths like actually surrounding where this particular block that's Grenache is. And this it's actually a really Special like location, and so it's it's near where Salilo Falls used to be before it was dammed, It was basically like the epicenter of basically Native American civilization in the Northwest um, and so it's like a real like sort of deep, special place because of that you know so you would have that the site would have looked right out on sort of Native American like fishing sites mm. um. And there would have been, like, way more rapids. So, like, basically the, the dams have created these series of, like, sort of reservoirs. The like Columbia is now, like, a series of reservoirs, right, created by dams. But before that would have been, you know, waterfalls. And so it's interesting to, like, imagine the past. It's um, a place where the gorge has transitioned to desert. And so the site sees, you know, between 8 to 12 inches of rain. It's dry farmed, which is unusual for a site that's... Ex- well, the precipitation's that low. Yeah, it's extremely windy. So you're getting the full brunt force, like, of the wind there, which for the Grenache is good. Like, the Grenache is it's really strong wood, so it's upright growing and very resilient, like, kind of in the wind. Um, and the Grenache also loves the sand. Like, Grenache hates water, so the fact that the site's dry farmed in sand <laughs> is, a, is a positive thing just for, like, the characteristics of the Great Friday. And then, um you know, it's a similar situation as here we have all these wild plants sort of growing up into the canopy and there, because it's in the desert, it's a lot of like sort of wild sages and lupins. And so the wines have this like sort of extraordinary dried herb and like botanical quality. That's very, very striking. Um, And it's something that we would likely lose if we aggressively mowed or till the site. So you've like really strong ambient, like aromatic effect from a combination of like where the site is and like how the soil is like managed, and then the when the grapes are harvested, they're placed they're placed in um, open top conical wooden vat, whole cluster, unsorted because we don't like to like damage the skins so and disturb a lot of the essential oils that are there by running things on a sorting table like that sort of thing, and we also don't want to lose like sort of again like I think that a lot of the like really desirable aromas and wines are often contained in clusters that like we would think are ugly or, and so we like to retain all those things. And then the grapes were untouched for about five days. And then once the fermentation really got going, um, in the vat, we began to sort of gently tread. Foot tread? Yeah. foot Always by foot. No, so no pump overs, no punch downs and no pumps ever for the wine. Um, and then in this case, pressed, you know, right around 14 days or so. Um, and pressed in a, you know, in a basket press directly to barrel and the free run, the press combined. So it was about 70% free run and the remainder press. Um, and then it was on lees until it was bottled by gravity with a six-spout filler after about 11 months um, in, in old wood. So like old um, Burgundy-shaped cast, they're about five years old.
0: So our cuvee
1: was, was one of three different yeah, three different picks, and so it was the, it's the middle pick. It's funny, there's a Younger Vines portion where there's more s- w- more water, and then there's two sections where there's more kind of like sub surface water. And so that one actually ended up being the last pick, and those are the barrels we're still, still retaining at the winery, and then there are two other parcels, and this is from this... It's sort of like the middle of the block, but older vines from the... You know, it's like a late 1990s planting. So they're not like old old vines, but, you know, like 20-ish years old. And it's, you know, from this spot where there are a lot of, like, sort of cobbles, like, coming up, you know, to the surface. And so you have sort of a mix of, like, soil depths. Like, there are places where there are pockets of deep sand and, like, other spots where the basalt is sort of, like, right at the surface. And so you have a mix of some plants that are really struggling and some others that are sort of more vigorous.
0: Grenache is... is is such a weird grape because for me you know that it's very easy to make grenache that is fruity and has a, a few characteristics but oftentimes it's very kind of monolithic and one note and its expressions throughout the world and you could count like on your hand a, gr- a grenache that has this complex range of flavors that is in another stratosphere and this for me has that and it's so interesting to hear you attribute a lot of that to the, the no-till regime and some of the sage and lupin that are are growing there. How else would you describe that
1: I mean, I do think it's like a perfect sort of spot for Grenache, like with the sand and the wind and all that sort of stuff. It's also, um, I'd say I think that oftentimes, I mean, I think it's a really misunderstood grape variety. It's a grape where you have really uneven ripening. So you have a lot of white and pink berries. But when you taste the white and the pink berries, they taste good. A lot of the flavors contained in the pink berries like, so a lot of those, like, really exciting, like, high-pitched, peppery notes. But there's, in recent history, people, you know, got so crazy with, like, vineyard manipulations. And so Grenache has been, like, a prime candidate for, one, like, cutting up clusters so that you basically would cut off the wings, but also cut off the bottom of the cluster and sort of leave only part of it intact in, in an effort to try to get rid of, like, those, of a lot of those pink berries, And then people like hang it for like crazy amounts of time. And so I think that's where the monolithic Grenache comes from, by not sort of being comfortable just working with the variety as it is. I mean, Grenache is a low acid grape variety, but then when you remove, when you pick it super late and you remove all those sort of pink and green berries, then it really becomes like a low acid grape variety. So I think it's an instance where people like made like really unfortunate like Viticultural choices with like really good intentions, and it's related to the winemaking too. Like, to I mean, those things are always talking each other, and so that's like sort of the problem. We've talked about this with so for me, like the idea is let the grape ripen in like a really natural way, and then it it requires gentle handling. If you're going to retain those pink and green berries, you probably don't want to. You know do a lot of really aggressive extractive like techniques in the cellar and so if you're doing two punch downs a day all the way through the cap or doing a bunch of pumpovers and you're and you picked when we pick, you probably would have some like pretty gnarly really aggressive like kind of green notes but if you allow those green and pink berries to exist and you and you work with with the fermenter in like a really gentle way, then you're able to like harness those for more freshness and like really evocative perfumes without extracting anything like sort of undesirable. And that kind of goes through also with the press, like if you're, you know, so it just requires, I think if you have like a really light touch, then you can really harness those things that people saw as like a bad thing for something, you know, that's really beneficial.
0: And the funny thing about Reyes is it's completely different than everything in Neuf de Pop. but even if you taste Chateau de Tour, it doesn't even come from the same vineyard. It comes from, and there's this chaos yeah, character. In, yeah, and yeah. so when we talk about terroir, how much of it is cellar biome and how much of it is actual place, too? Because I feel like there are corollaries with your wines having spent a significant amount of time. Yeah. It. I can certainly tell, like, this preponderance of different grapes growing just even in your estate vineyard, and it seems like whenever you blind taste wine, a wine was white, red, pink, or orange, or a blend of whatever, I can tell when it's coming from your estate, there is this character, and I certainly feel like there's a corollary with whatever the indigenous yeast that are occurring in your, in your cellar, with, the, with a lot of characteristics across all the cuvées that you make, there is a, a,
1: a high-you thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, cellars are, like, a really important part of, like, wine. And um, and we try to, like, what we were talking about earlier, we really try to be consistent Mm. in how... We work in the cellar with how we work in the vineyard. And so we don't want to do anything like in terms of like sanitation protocol that would, that's going to like disturb or sort of harm the microbial population in the winery. Mm. Like we're looking for it to like develop and be healthy and like have an interesting like evolution and be able to carry things in from the sites and like allow those things to like express themselves like sort of have a life so I don't know how to like directly answer your question except for to say that like I want the cellar to express itself and I want it to do so with a voice that's consistent with how we're working like out in the field but I think if you have a wine when you try to conceive of the cellar as this sort of like sanitary neutral place that will just allow you to express terroir with like with fidelity like with absolute like fidelity and the end I think it never rings true like I think the wines just taste shallow Mm. um and so I think at the end of the day it's not like I don't think you get to see I think the land needs that sort of cellar environment in order to be able to find its most sort of deep and meaningful expression and I think that you're always going to be tasting those two environments talking to each other when you're tasting great wine. Let's take it back to the farm. Our red blend, Blau-Frankish dominated.
0: What else is in there?
1: Yeah, so it's built, so it's interesting. You know, when I lived, I lived at Ronkodon-Yemets and it's on this hill um, in the Colli Orientale um, outside the town of San uh, Giovanni Nanasone and Via view number five is the address. Um, LAUGHTER you want to bug Serena and Christian? I'm um, oh, there, dude. <laughs> they're amazing. And at the top of that hill is this famous abbey called the Abbey of Rozazzo. And so on that hill, there's a bunch of Franconia, which is Blau Franckish. But on that abbey, is where they rediscovered Pignolo. And so the wine is, in a lot of ways, built around Friuli as this place where East meets West. And blau Franckisch is sort of that great frital par excellence. So the wine, the Frankisch and the blau Franckisch sort of alludes to these purported, like, French, like, origins. And, yeah, there's no Blaufränkisch in France. Like, it's all planted, like, in, in Eastern Europe, like, starting in, you know, Austria you know, in Bergenland, but then also, like, in, you know, in Hungary and then moving, like, further east. But so it's a grape that invites, like, those, like, kind of analogies. And so we wanted to build a wine around the connection between east and west. And so it's Blau-Frankish. I mean, it has a ton of things planted with it, right? So it's, like, there's Pignolo, Schiopatino, Corvina Veronese, Kadarka Gamay, Pinot Noir, Babbage fugava many clones of heirloom zinfandel and i'm sure i'm forget i'm for sure i'm forgetting some but that's like the gist of it i'm just
0: like when i write the email to everybody i'm just put blau frankish and company and just leave yeah, it at that i think yeah. it would be a lot easier but amazing i mean this this was like
1: the craziest one yeah, so ever. that parcel it's called avalana which um is the latin for the hazel the hazelnut Mm-hmm. Um, and that parcel is the parcel directly against the forest. It's surrounded by forests on three sides. And so it's, it's really the wildest portion of the vineyard because it's the one that the forest is trying to take back. A lot of trees kind of growing up in it. And the wine definitely yes. expresses that side of it. If anything like that, the wine is... Um, is wild <laughs> and like incredibly you know, it also is, it's about this I mean one of the things that we've been really excited about is wines that have the aromatic, that can kind of reach the aromatic heights that Pinot Noir does but from other grape varieties so and Blau Francish is I think one of the most interesting grapes out there that can at moments feel somewhere in between Pinot and Northern Runt and Barolo what percentage uh, of blau Franck is is in the blend? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, we, ne- I mean, we never count those things. <laughs> I have no idea. It's do- I mean, it's dominant, but it's really hard. It's hard to say. Could you say more than fifty, or you? Don't I think know? it is more than fifty. Okay, Ju- you know, probably just.
0: So, as the sommelier and as your stomach is starting to growl again, what would you pair with both the Grenache and the? Blaufränkisch
1: and company blend. Yeah, I mean the Blaufränkisch is uh yeah, like a grouse and everything inside its stomach. <laughs> but it's like sort of an ideal thing for like that kind of like situation, so like a well-hung like duck or a grouse cooked with like a lot of spices. I'm a sucker for like the sort of thing with like that kind of red um, mm-hmm. and then maybe like yeah, like an interesting grain. Um, or wild rice or something and then like some like dried fruits and some nuts and like that kind of thing I yeah it'd be really cool a lot of herbs and for the grenache yeah and then for the grenache that's what's so exciting is that you like it's amazing to be this far north and yet to be able to have access to these like Mediterranean uh, Mediterranean flavors so anything with like a sauce based on like tomatoes and pepper and garlic and, you know, and thyme. Like, maybe, I mean, it's an interesting one for, like, you know, like, sort of, like, a chickpea stew with, like, some salsa verde, but also, but that, like, is sort of tomato-based, like, and it's broth, like, mm. you know, that sort of thing. Love the vegetarian options, too, because I'm sure there's <laughs> a, lot of, we have a lot of club members <laughs> totally, who are, like... Totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't want yeah. the game bird yeah, in right, their stomach. Right. Yeah, and I mean, think that, the sort of thing with, like, the blau franc is, like, like, something mushroom yeah. Like, sort of mushroom room. I mean, it's definitely that kind of wine that...
0: It was one of the most stunning reds I tasted, and you, I think you whipped me through just about everything, or at least... You always have tricks up your sleeve, but I tasted quite a bit, and it was, I mean, there's a lot of compelling wine in your cellar, but that was, was yeah. from the estate. That's that, my favorite red wine. Yeah, pretty incredible. So on that, do you have any drink windows at all recommended, or do you not care for such things? I could see you not No, caring. the wines are... Mel-
1: the wines are age well they're intended to age, yeah but I think I think actually like really big I mean they're exciting to drink young just because you'll have the maximum like sort of freshness, mm-hmm. you know, so if you're really interested in like kind of getting into like the fruit and spice and like a like really vivid, but the wines tend to develop in this really like deep truffly mm. kind of way, and even like an additional four year from release, you know. It's like big, like really serious rewards. Like, I mean, I definitely tend to. F- I, I think that these wines, you know, have the capacity, you know, to age twenty plus years. But I think I like to drink wines like in that, in between, in the in between when, you know, so it's maybe seven to twelve years, mm-hmm. where you can still feel the fruit, but you have like this sort of deep transformation has happened, dude.
0: Thank you so much for taking time because yeah. you were one of the busiest dudes I've ever seen. <laughs> no, no. For this like zen hands-off guy, you were like one of the most busy guys I know. So I, I appreciate you sitting down and I can't be more excited about this, this collab.
1: And Yeah, um, I'm really excited about it too. it yeah.
0: amazing. All right, that concludes today's episode. If you liked it, please hit the subscribe button. And if you have any comments, we welcome those as well. Thank you so much. We'll be back again soon.